Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Today is Torah portion number 18. And when I saw that uh, in the study, I realized that uh, the word uh, high in Hebrew, uh, which means to life. How many of you have ever been in a Jewish setting and you've heard the word lechaim? Or you come to a Shabbat service and when uh, we drink the, uh, the cup of juice, uh, pastors say lechaim. To life, high, C-H-A-I. And the numerical equivalent uh, to that is the number 18. And so we're on number 18 today. So whatever we're learning today, whatever God speaks to us today, may it bring great life, abundant life that leads to eternal life. Say lechaim, somebody. Amen. And so, yeah, Exodus 21 through 24, we're following up what happened at Mount Sinai with God giving the Ten Commandments. And Israel's still at Mount Sinai. They haven't left yet. And God has some interesting things that follow this epic revelation of the Bible, the Torah. Uh, it began with the Ten Commandments, and it's, it's been expanding like when God said, let there be light. And uh, as far as scientists can tell, light is still expanding to this day. And when God said, let there be the Bible, all the nuances, all the facets, all the teachings, all the revelation, the wisdom, that's still expanding in our lives from the moment we made Jesus our Lord. We serve a good God. Uh, the late great Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who uh, I follow and love to read his essays, he wrote a brilliant essay on this Torah study uh, called Mishpatim uh, entitled Vision and Details. And so uh, I thought, okay, in reading this and many other things, uh, I, I uh, entitled today's message, God is in the Details. Amen. And the rabbi points out that great leaders of faith and great business leaders, all great leaders, uh, have the ability to see the big picture. Here's the vision. Uh, And they're able to communicate that as best they can. But then they also have a meticulous side. Uh, The side that uh, borders on being a perfectionist, trying to get everything right. Uh, uh, and that's where paying attention to the details comes in to play. Uh, successful people will tell you uh, that your ongoing success is dependent upon tremendous attention to detail. It's not just the one grand thing, but it's the hundreds of little things that go into making the grand thing possible. Right? And that's true in our Christian life. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, we have John 3.16. 
But if that was all God wanted us to know, our Bible would be pretty thin. <laughs> he wanted us to know a whole lot more than John 3. If all you got is John 3.16, you'll make heaven your home. But there's so much more. And a lot of that comes down to the difference between eternal life and abundant life. We all, because of Jesus, have forgiveness of sins and instantly have eternal life. Thanks be to God. But for abundant life, we need to pay attention to some of the details. Do you believe that today? Say amen. Uh, I was reading about how John Wooden, the great basketball coach, uh, said that when you pay attention to details, the big picture will take care of itself. <laughs> yeah, we want to win the, the championship, and it's nice to have players like Bill Walton and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on your team. <laughs> that helps, but uh, if you're not practicing every day in practice, working on the fundamentals, working on the details, the big picture of bringing home the trophy is a lot harder than one would think. So, yeah, we just don't want to live on John 3.16. Let's pay attention to the details. And God gave us the details. How many of you would agree with me today that the husband and wife relationship is dependent, the success of that is dependent on the details? I love you. Well, uh, I haven't said that in 30 years. I told you once, nothing's changed. What more do you want? <laughs> How about little acts of kindness? Amen. How about little acts of consideration? Amen. How about uh, 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 appreciating things a little bit more? Amen. Amen. That's what keeps relationships uh, successful and happy. Amen. How about parent and child relationships? All right. We're helping raise a grandson. And uh, uh, all that little toddler behavior isn't all so sweet and lovely. <laughs> how many, if we had a little tape, how many times did we say no, 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 no? And all of a sudden it's like, uh, man, I just don't want to be known as the no-meister. <laughs> And so, uh, got to pay attention to those things. Uh, in, when, in our children's pastor days, uh, we would always teach the kids the only difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little bit extra. Amen. Amen. And when it comes to business, finance, building a church, or building a better life, uh, and what we learn today in the Torah study and throughout all of our Bible study, uh, the genius is in the details. Amen. Uh, and that just happens to be what today's Torah study is all about in the sense that we serve a God who's in the details. God is into details. When he created this whole thing, it wasn't just a big bang. Man, there had to be a lot of things put in order. Just look at the complexities in the human body, the biology of the human body and how complex it is. And yet here we are, alive and kicking. Amen. Amen. So God is able to give us the big picture. 
Ten Commandments, thunder and lightning on the mountain, Mount Sinai. Uh, Everybody's gathered there and they see this whole thing and they say, wow! But then, uh, in addition to that, the Bible moves on. There's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey once said. And God goes on to provide us some specifics on how to make the big picture work. Yeah, there's a big vision, but how are you going to bring that uh, vision to pass? And so God gives the finer points, if you will, the fine print to Sinai. And he comes to Moses. He gives Moses and Israel a mission statement to become a kingdom of priests. You are going to be a holy nation. You're going to serve me and be a light to the world. Amen. And I'm going to show you through the Torah how to create a society totally different than the world has ever seen. It's going to be built on divine principles based on the Ten Commandments. But as Rabbi Sachs points out, the Ten Commandments are very broad in, their, uh, 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 in, their, in the giving of them. Uh, and it's not going to be sufficient enough to build and sustain a society over the generations. So following the big picture... At Mount Sinai, God transitions Israel from the broad vision into some precise legislation. And that legislation is going to be used to govern the Israelites in everyday life. Amen? And so, God spends the next 40 years. What did they do for 40 years? Right? Just kind of hang out and play Candy Crush? (laughs) I won't watch ESPN every day faithfully for 40 years. <laughs> Man, I'm glad. I'm sure glad I had Netflix. <laughs> no, for the next 40 years, God explained to Moses and the people what he wanted Israel to do to create a society that would be the envy of the world or should have been the envy of the world. He gave them the details. God was in the details, and he explained why he did what he did. He gave them a set of laws, and he explained what those laws were meant to achieve. Here's the principles. Adapt those. Work those in. They're guidelines that will help you be successful as an individual, as a family, and as a nation. Amen? And it it changed the world. Out of all of that experience, you fast forward 1,500 years and bam! Yeshua Jesus, who is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Now Jesus is going to show us how to take this vast collection of principles and guidelines and standards and how to make it work in your life, not legalistically or ritualistically, but just in a way that demonstrates the love of God. Amen? If you think about it, there's only two nations that ever have tried this. Israel and America. All right? A lot of people had a chance to take this all on. God uh, 
said, I'm going to place before you not only the Ten Commandments, but in Exodus 21.1, I'm going to place before you these ordinances, these statutes, these rulings, so that you will be governed by them. It wasn't to earn salvation. They already got amazing grace at Passover. All right? But you live like a slave for a couple hundred years and you develop the wrong mentality. Now I'm going to have to wash your brain or brainwash you and get you thinking the right way, the godly way, the divine way. You learn from Pharaoh and that, how'd that work for you? <laughs> right? So he's transitioning Israel from the big picture into a detailed understanding of who's ever heard do things decently and in order. Yeah, that's what the Torah is all about. This is the decency and order that I want you to have in your society and pass it on to your children throughout all generations. So there's a lot to learn And 40 years later, they were still learning. How many of you have been saved for 10, 15, 20, 30 years? You're still learning how to apply all of these guys. And the more you learn to apply the principles, there's a lot of them. But the more you learn to apply them, and the more you rightly divide the word of truth. What situation am I facing that ain't going so well? God's got a word for that. Where am I struggling to break through in a a certain area? God's got a word for that. And hopefully you're in a church that can identify what those things are. And all of a sudden in that corporate anointing as you're studying, as you're attending, bam! Revelation. Ah, that's how I fix that. And I'll guarantee you, you'll trace it all the way back uh, to a Torah principle. Amen. And, and look, uh, how many of you believe that as a family, as a church, as a nation, we don't need standards of performance? Just whatever feels good, do it. However you think you're being led, just be led that way and no one can question that. Ah, yeah, how's that working? We kind of see that in America today. People want to change what the standards are. And all of a sudden, we've had all these godly standards for so many years. Where'd they come from? The Word. Our founding fathers built our whole legal and judicial system based on the B-I-B-L-E starting in Genesis. And so we've had a certain standard for what's acceptable human behavior for a long, long time. And we've also had uh, definitions of what's not acceptable. And now people in charge don't want to live by those standards. They're wanting to super... Let's put in a new set of standards. Okay, Marxist. So in, in these chapters, uh, Exodus 21 to 24, God lays out 50 moral principles that govern everyday conduct. And they include basics concerning marriage. Yeah, God's got words on marriage. 
on murder and manslaughter. I was just reading how one guy just pulled the trigger on somebody uh, who had pulled the trigger on somebody previously and the judge let the guy out 10 weeks later on bail. And he went out and shot somebody else. It's like, judge, show a little more wisdom and discernment. Why are you feeling sorry for the, 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 the criminal? Why aren't you feeling sorry for the victim? God covers that in these chapters. Okay? Uh, areas that concern personal injury and personal property damages, God covers. He gives some principles. How many of you have ever been in a, an accident that you didn't cause, and now all of a sudden your car's wrecked? And you're thinking, the guy that caused the damage ought to repay me and restore me to the way it was before there was damage. All right? That's called tort law. Where did that come from? Exodus 21 through 24. All right? Uh, Laws of liability and restitution. Okay? Judicial conduct, which we kind of just referred to. And then you get into other more uh, religious things like how to celebrate the sabbatical year, uh, the Sabbath, and all the annual festivals. But what's going on here is God's giving us more of the details that you didn't get with the Ten Commandments. They're the guidelines that help us uh, when the rubber meets the road, who's going to protect me? Where, how am I going to get justice? Do I want Pharaoh's brand of justice? Egypt's brand of justice? All the nations that have come and gone through all of human history, most of them could care less about your rights. All of a sudden, we seem to be getting back to that mindset in government. All of a sudden, government is acting right now like I'm in charge and I don't have to answer to anybody. I can pass any law, make any mandate, do anything I want to do, and who's going to stop me? And then if there's an election and you want to vote me out, I might even have a way to mess with that. <laughs> yeah. And in, in the end, what, uh, uh, what Pharaoh thought, what Nimrod thought in Abraham's day, and what these tyrants and despots throughout all of you, they, they're thinking there's no higher power but me. Right? And they don't want to come to terms with the fact there is a higher power. And that higher power put moral limits on your power. Yeah? You just can't do anything you want to do, Mr. Tyrant, Mr. This, Mr. That, or Mrs. So, God lays this out real clear, and, and it was never done before. It really hadn't been done since. I mean, we look into Europe, but Europe for all these uh, centuries was ruled by kings. They still have that monarch system in place. The democracy that we have, the republic that we have, is very different. Not every nation could say we're one nation under God. In fact, there's two, Israel and America. One nation under God. That means one nation under the Bible. 
and the rules and guidelines and principles and laws that God lays out, that's, that's uh, our code. And that's not legalism. Right? Most Christians have never really understood or appreciated God's laws. Right? I went to a couple years of Bible college. We didn't talk about the things in the way we're talking about now. We just talked about it as legalism. God sent Jesus to plow all of that into the landfill of history. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't come to replace the Old Testament. He came to expand it and amplify it and extend it. Perhaps the best scripture that counters the replacement theology and the Old Testament is kaka, yuck. Put Mr. Yuck sticker on every page of your Old Testament Bible. Remember that green sticker you'd put on all the poison stuff underneath your sink? Mr. Yuck. Well, uh, we have those in the back. (laughs) Just pick up a sheet and start sticking that in uh, Genesis to Malachi. Of course not. That's foolishness. And 2 Timothy 3.16 is perhaps the greatest scripture in the New Testament that counters that bad thinking. And it says, this is from the Passion Translation, God has transmitted His very substance into every scripture. It's God-breathed. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you into the deeper paths of godliness. Amen. Right? So what's every scripture? Does every scripture begin from Matthew on or from Genesis on? Back when this was written, there was no New Testament. So... Obviously, Paul is talking and thinking about from Genesis on. There's wisdom and revelation and principles and guidelines that we need to dig out so we can go deeper into paths of godliness. How many of you are familiar with the Great Commission? Part of the Great Commission is teach them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. What does that mean? Teach them what I'm commanding you. Well, Jesus just had one commandment. Boy, that must have got boring around the campfire. (laughs) There's just one thing you can tell me? Well, yeah, if you boil it all down, love God, love people, yeah, you can boil it all down and epitomize it. What's the greatest? You love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love others, love your neighbor as yourself. That epitomizes it, but that's not the rest of the story. There's a whole lot that's behind that. And he says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Did you know there's over a thousand commands in the New Testament? 1,050 suggestions. Take it or leave it, buddy. (laughs) Why do Christians struggle? Because we try to pin everything on the big picture moment. Right? The altar call. I confess my sins. What more do you want? (laughs) I want your whole life. 
And I want your whole life to be trained in a way that reflects all of my ways, all of my thoughts, all the different things that I represent in the Bible. I want you to represent those to the world. Not legalistically. I don't want you like Jim Adler. Have you seen the Jim Adler billboards? He got that big sledgehammer. I'm going to hit somebody. <laughs> yeah, and Christianity has been like that for some, you know. Let me let me go see who else I can persuade. <laughs> yeah, that, that, the Christian hammer. I'm Scott Sigmund, the Christian hammer. There are actually 300 references, actual references in the New Testament that come directly out of the Old Testament. And then it increases to over a thousand where there's uh, principles that you can relate and connect. All right, so if the idea was to abolish the Old Testament, they sure missed a golden opportunity. (laughs) Why'd you do it that way if you didn't want us to learn the wisdom of God from Genesis and in Exodus? Why didn't you just come right out and say it? Well, Jesus came right out and said in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish. I come to show you how to live it. So... uh, Christians are often taught we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, what does that mean? What did it mean way back in the beginning? And how has it morphed into what it means now? What it means now is that anything in the Old Testament is nullified. Anything God said in the Old Testament no longer applies. Unhitch yourself from all that false teaching. You're telling me that God sent all of his prophets and men and women of God to write the Torah and then had to uh, fess up before all of eternity, all of uh, of the universe. I've made a big mistake, so i got to send Jesus. (laughs) That can't be what happened. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How should we act? What should we do? What shouldn't we do in all the various circumstances? Well, that's why we have a big, thick book, (laughs) because there's a lot to learn. And that's why it's a 40-year, 50-year, 60-year, 70-year. How many of you have been doing this for half a century? A couple of you? God bless you. Amen. And And you're still doing it. It wasn't like, well, I paid my dues. I'm done. I'm opting out. <laughs> I research what under the where under the law came from and how it's rightly applied, rightly dividing the word of truth. And what I found is this: that the early church used this phrase, uh, "We're not under the law," to deal with circumcision. In Acts 15, we don't have time to get into it all, but this all came up in Acts 15 at the Great Jerusalem Council. What are we going to do with all these Gentiles coming into the church? They know nothing about the ways of God. 
They've been raised in paganism. They know nothing about the Ten Commandments, much less the 613 commandments, much less than the 1,050 New Testament commandments that are going to start being rolled out. What do we do? And the whole debate is centered around conversion. Well, in order for them to be converted, they need to be circumcised. That's what one group said. And it it turns out that that group is a Gentile group that got circumcised. And they're sitting there thinking, hey, wait a minute here. If I had to go through it, they got to go through it. And so they're advocating they need to be under the laws of circumcision. And Pastor James and all everyone was there. All the apostles were there. And Pastor James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was leading the New Covenant Church in Jerusalem at that time, he was the main guy. And he said, look, I've heard everybody's um, uh, reasons and... As we think about all of this, we're deciding right now, we're not going to put Gentiles under the law of circumcision and conversion as the, uh, our Jewish brothers uh, in the temple would do. Uh, but they still need to learn some things. And he gave them four things in Acts 15. He said, stop all the idolatry. No going down to Princess Diana's temple and having a fling. Stop drinking blood. Boy, that was hard for them to give up that. Stop eating non-kosher. Meat strangled. It's in there. Acts 15. Yeah, start considering your diet. And then uh, knock off all the immorality. You're not a playboy, dude. (laughs) You're just going to get you and everybody else into a whole heap of trouble. So, it revolved around circumcision and all that got way for the Gentiles coming in. You're no longer under the law of conversion. Now, how did it morph into you're not under any law? <laughs> well, that's a, a long story in and of itself. But, you know, there's leaders in the early church movement after Jesus died and the last apostles died. Marcion, you've heard about Constantine, so many others that rejected Judaism. They didn't want to be under any of those laws. I'm in charge now, I'm making the rules. That's what the guy said when President Reagan was shot. The general, I'm in charge now. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Be quiet. And they moved all in back in that day, they moved everything out of Jerusalem back over into Europe and uh, into Rome. Because, look, there's no way they wanted to be under Jewish things from Jerusalem, from Judea. How many governments and world leaders today have the same mindset? 
I'm not going to be under God's law when it comes to abortion, when it comes to gender rights, when it comes to uh, uh, criminal uh, justice, when it comes to law and order, when it comes to this, that, or the There's 50 different things. There's a thousand different things. I'm not going to be under all of that. It just always strikes me so funny that traditional church and Marxist, secular, humanist leaders have the same doctrine. We're not under that! (laughs) What a strange, ironic set of bedfellows. And you can understand why if you're Pharaoh, why do I have to accept that? (laughs) There's an old myth that you can't legislate morality. Anybody ever hear that? false premise it's a myth you you legislate morality the real question is whose morality are you legislating and that was the wisdom of our founding fathers read the federalist papers read the backstory they don't teach that in school anymore because if you educate a whole generation of kids to find out that our founding fathers loved the Ten Commandments, they loved the Bible, and they built a judicial and legal and governmental system, a society based as best they could on the Bible, and all of a sudden you're teaching that in school? And so we better get some judges on the Supreme Court. We better get some judges in district courts and circuit courts and appellate courts that don't follow the Constitution. They don't follow our history, but they, they follow what we want now. This is our uh, far-left, progressive, Marxist, socialist, antichrist policy, and we want it codified into law, and we're going to appoint people to do that, and they've done it. But that's what, for 200 plus uh, years, is what's made us one nation under God. Why does everybody still want to come to America? (laughs) Right? So at Mount Sinai, God not only gave the big picture, Ten Commandments, He gives all of these other commandments on how to organize a society and how to make the right rules for society so that we can all get along. And it worked pretty good. Worked pretty good in America. Did we make some mistakes? Absolutely. Should we have repented for some of those mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, But as long as there's Christian people, Jewish people, Judeo-Christian people who believe in the ideals, the values of the Bible, we need to try again. We can do better in some areas. Try again. And that's what leads to how you mold and shape the soul of a nation. God needed to mold and shape the soul of His nation Israel. This is my treasured people. And I need them to have a soul that reflects me. So I'm going to give them the Torah. Yeah, the big picture, Ten Commandments. But then I'm going to go through a couple other books of the Bible and create a whole lot of other things, the finer points, so that we get this thing right, guys. Let's get this thing right. So the Ten Commandments, just the start. 
Yeah, you're going to respect God, but I'm going to now respect the stranger. Honor your parents. Protect the innocent. I want, I want you to work on abolishing slavery. I want you to be kind to your animals. I want everyone to have personal property rights. It's not just the king has rights. You have rights. And it goes on and on and on from there. I kind of think that what God was saying here is, uh, here's my standards of performance. You're not always going to get there. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to fail along the way. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you from all that unrighteousness and just get back up, as Tiz said the other day in her little Facebook, get back up on the horse and get back riding. (laughs) Right? We're not talking about earning our way to heaven. That's not what this is all about. Well, you're trying to earn your way. No. Keeping God's laws doesn't make you a Christian. It just makes you a better Christian. (laughs) And in, in effect, God is saying, look, I know the golden rule is the big picture. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But I'm going to give you the long version. If you can live your life in such a way that you can narrow it down that all you need is the golden rule and you're living like that all the time, hallelujah! But in the meantime, here's the long version. Here's the extended play. You had the 45, now I'm going to give you the album. You had the three-minute version, now I'm going to give you the 30-minute version. And look, that's what prevents... Love your neighbor from just being an empty slogan. Because you're learning more about what that means. How you're treating people. How you're compensating people. If you're a boss, how you're treating your workers. And on and on and on. Now sometimes it gets a little bit dicey when you try to explain all of this to new people. Because we've been... Uh, we've had a set of doctrines that teach contrary to this. And so there's an unlearning process as well as a learning process. Uh, But all of those references in the New Testament that came from the Old Testament show us that there was a continuation of the Word, not a termination of the Word. So let me give you a few scriptures in closing just to help put things in perspective. We already mentioned Matthew 5.17. If you think I've come to set aside the laws of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. Passion translation. In Matthew 13.52, Jesus said, Those experts in Jewish law who are now my disciples have double treasure from the Old Testament as well as the New. Paul said in Romans 7.12, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Galatians 3.21, Does this mean then that the laws given to Moses contradict God's promises? That's unthinkable! So what's going on just with these few things? 
you're starting to see the narrative that it's all been replaced and it's all been abolished is starting to unravel. We may, we're pushing back and now we got to rethink some things. Why don't pastors want to rethink some things? Because i got 30 years invested in the other thing and if you think I'm going to go back to the drawing board, you're crazy. <laughs> That's why I respect Pastor Huck. He was willing to go back to the drawing boards and rethink some things. And it all came out of that revelation. I'm going to begin to reread the Bible through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus. I was reading 1 Timothy 1 in the uh, Phillips translation. Uh, And here's how he says it. We know, of course, that the law is good in itself. Okay. Are are these all these people schizophrenic? We're not under the law. We know, of course, the law is good. Dude, get your story straight. Well, if I'm listening to some guy say what the Word says, or am I reading what the Word says... What one are you going to take? The interpretation from a man or reading it out of the book yourself? The law is good and has a legitimate function. Yet we also know that the law is not really meant for the good man, but for the man who has neither principles nor self-control. For that man is really wicked, who has neither scruples nor reverence. Yes, the law is directed against the sort of people who attack their own parents, who kill their fellows, who are sexually uncontrolled or perverted, who traffic in the bodies of others. It is against liars and perjurers. In fact, it is against any and every action which contradicts the wholesome teaching of the glorious gospel which our blessed God has given and entrusted to me. There's a lot going on there, right? But he's not. if he was trying to discredit, the, he missed his chance. Now, we could go into many, many others. And as we say over and over again, you don't keep the laws of God to earn eternal life. You keep the laws of God uh, as a way to get you to abundant life down here on the ground while we're still around. Two different things. Being under the law originally was meant for the laws of conversion, Acts 15. And the other thing that they decided is uh, Gentiles don't need to become Jewish in order to be accepted by God. Ironically, though, what's going on is that we make Jews have to stop being Jewish in order to be accepted by God. What a double standard. Where's the patience? Where's the peace? Where's the love? Where's the understanding? New beginnings, our goal is to tear down walls that divide. We're not coming at the Jews with the Jim Adler hammer. But in the day, the Inquisitions, in the day, the Crusades, in the day... The Holocaust, Nazi Germany, they came against the Jews using their religious traditions. 
The fact is, we're grafted in. And that's what we're called to do as a church. To learn how to rightly divide all of this so that we're helping move people towards what that banner says there, Ephesians 2.14. Uh, God wants to create a one new man. That's a prophecy. Hadn't happened yet. Starting to happen. But if you go back to Acts 15, and this is the last thing, this is what Pastor James saw when the Gentile revival broke out, and they're describing it in Acts 15. He's saying that this is the tabernacle of David coming together. What we're seeing here, Jew and Gentile, this is what God had in mind with the tabernacle of David. What's the tabernacle of David? There was no middle wall dividing Jew and Gentile. They all worshiped together and they brought in the presence of God and they experienced signs, wonders, and miracles. Exactly what Ephesians 2 is talking about. And so that's what we're all about as a church. And we're learning how to honor, respect, and appreciate these things. You can do as much or little of the ceremonial things as you want. But when it comes to negotiating on should I obey the commands, no negotiation on that. Amen. Amen. So we love you guys. Thank you for being here.